Hello and welcome back yet again to the Bibbs Corner Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Mike Bibbins. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Bibbs Corner. Uh, this is episode 52 and the final episode of the GOAT series where I'm going to be giving you the top five players in NBA history of all time. Um, it's been quite a journey and I want to thank you guys for taking this journey with me. Uh, we went all the way back to 1947 through the history of NBA basketball and I personally have learned a lot through this series. Uh, I learned some names that I never had heard before and I learned a lot more about guys that I had. Uh, I can now tell you about the early years of the league in the late 40s and early 50s. Uh, I can tell you how the era of the big man was ushered in. I can tell you about scandals from the 60s and how Bird and Magic dominated the 80s and likely saved the NBA from going bankrupt. Uh, I can tell you about Wilt versus Bill Russell and the matchups they had and how they went and why. I can tell you what made those two men different. And by the end of this episode, I'll be able to tell you who the greatest player of all time is. Um, if you've been tuning in since the first portion of this series, uh, again, I thank you all. Uh, if you've skipped ahead and just wanted to get the top five before you go back and listen, that's perfectly fine, too. Uh, if you've shared a link, retweeted, commented at me on, on Twitter, sent me a DM, thank you. Uh, all of your encouragement and support has been great. Uh, and it's motivated me to keep going because this <laughs> this did take a lot of work to put together. And uh, the response has been great. So, um you know, when when you spend a lot of time on something, you put a lot of energy and heart and whatever into it. It's good to see people appreciate it. Um, I'm still working on the written pieces that will be continuing to come out over the course of the next week or so. And uh, again, share, come uh, tweet me, DM me, whatever. Let me know how you feel about it. If you have any gripes, complaints, compliments, whatever, definitely add me, send them to me. Uh, the last thing I want to say before we move forward to the the five players we're going to be getting into today, and it, it's probably going to be long for each one because, you know, as you get to the top of the list, you, you want to get as much detail as possible. So uh, as we go through these guys and you're going to there's going to be some names that you have not heard throughout this series that you were likely expecting to hear or feel should have been there. So after this episode Maybe in a week, we'll see how long I wait to do it with the draft coming up and all that. I do want to do like a final episode where I answer questions about the GOAT series, uh, where I you can suggest players for me to plug into the formula uh, to see where they land or if, if they land anywhere in there at all, if they've gained any points towards uh, GOAT status. Um, like I said, I did 136 players to get here based on certain parameters, but that's not to say that there aren't other players out there who may earn more points than some of those 136 that I looked at. So suggest some names to me. Uh, I'm sure somebody's going to say Luca. Uh, I'm sure somebody's going to say Vince Carter. Um, oops, I, did I give away that he's not in the top five? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm not going to stop saying names, but there's a lot of guys that have not been mentioned in here and that did not make the list that I'm sure you guys are going to have questions about. So send them to me and um, I'll put a I'll put a request out on Twitter as well. But if you're listening, then those are the people I want to hear from anyway. So send those suggestions to me. 
I will be glad to go in and plug whoever in and see where they land based on, you know, what we what we have. Uh, the more players you name, the better, because I will get a more accurate determination. Uh, I do plan to come back next year and revisit this uh, because, you know, a lot of active players did make the list. So uh, we could see if guys moved up, moved down or if other guys there are a lot of guys that are active that are in the 50s and 60s right now. So to see if anybody else has moved in based on how next season goes. So that's exciting. Uh, like I said, this will be a recurring season by season. And uh, without further ado, I'm going to shut up, drop the ad, and then uh, we'll get into number five. Okay, so we're back and getting straight to business. Number five on the greatest of all time NBA player list is none other than Julius Irving. Nicknames Dr. J, the Doctor, the Claw, or Black Moses, Julius Irving was a six foot seven small forward from Roosevelt, New York. Uh, he played his college ball at the University of Massachusetts, playing in the ABA and NBA from 1971 to 1987. Dr. J is currently still around the game, usually showing up at every year's All-Star game and uh, usually as a judge in the dunk contest. He is a guy who played for the Virginia Squires and the New York Nets in the ABA and then eventually in the 76ers or with the 76ers in the NBA. Uh, his accolades, he is a Hall of Famer, of course, a 16-time All-Star, 5 in the ABA, 11 in the NBA. Uh, this was every year of his career that he made uh, the All-Star game. Uh, a 5-time All-NBA first-teamer, 4-time All-ABA first-teamer, 2-time All-NBA second-team, 1-time All-ABA second-team. He was 1-time All-ABA defensive first a three-time ABA scoring champ in 73, 74, and 76. Uh, the two-time ABA playoffs MVP, which is basically the finals MVP. And from 1974 through 1976, he was the ABA MVP. So the last three years of the ABA, he was the MVP. And then in 1981, he won an NBA MVP as well. When I did my additional calculations, Dr. J also earned one and one-sixth of a Defensive Player of the Year credit. Uh, he split with Bird in 1981, so he got half a credit for that. He split with Artist Gilmore in 1976 in the ABA, uh, which is where he got half a credit. And then he was, he was part of a six-way split in 1980 in the NBA as well for the award. <clears throat> He did make one additional all-defensive first team for 1972 in the ABA as well. Uh, and he had three finals runner-up MVPs, uh, which would have gotten him half of a credit 
because it was during the 77 to 84 period where the NBA and ABA merged, but the playoffs was still 12 teams. Uh, and those years were 1977, 1980, and 82, where he lost in the finals, but had a great performance on the losing side. Dr. J did win three titles, two in the ABA and one in the NBA. Uh, he won in 1974 and 1976 with the New York Nets of the ABA. And then he won again in 1983 with the Philadelphia 76ers. Now, Dr. J's claim to fame. He's known mostly for the 1976 NBA dunk contest where he did the free throw line dunk. Now, he wasn't the first to do the free throw line dunk, but he brought it to a national audience for the first time. Uh, he also had an epic dunk on Bill Walton in the 1977 NBA Finals, uh, where he drove through the entire Portland team and finished with that thunderous slam on Big Bill. Uh, 1980 was when he did the, the baseline finger roll from behind the backboard that everybody's done. I actually destroyed my ankle attempting that move in my front yard. <clears throat> the, the summer before I started college and my foot is still destroyed from that moment. Um, and finally he had the, the rock, the baby dunk over Michael Cooper in 1983, now, if you didn't witness any of his career, it's easy to think that Dr. J was just a high flyer. I myself was guilty of this before I sat down and did this GOAT series. But fortunately, I was able to do the knowledge and learn just how great Dr. J really was. Let's get into his story, though. The nickname Dr. came from his childhood, actually. He had a buddy who he would call the professor, and he was, his buddy would refer to him as the doctor. When people started calling him Houdini and Black Moses at Rucker Park, he would tell them that if you're going to call me anything, call me doctor. Of course, that eventually evolved into Dr. J. Dr. Julius and then Dr. J, just for short. He played two years in college, having to sit out his freshman year, of course. Uh, he averaged 26.3 points a game his sophomore year and 20.2 rebounds during, or I'm sorry, 26.3 points and 20.2 rebounds during his two years of playing college ball. He's one of only six players ever to average a 20-20 for their college career. He then entered the ABA draft using the hardship clause. Uh, and by the way, he did end up getting his degree in 1986 to keep a promise to him, to his mom, which is a theme we've heard a couple times uh, throughout this series. He finished second in Rookie of the Year voting in, a in the ABA to Artis Gilmore, if you recall. Uh, and the next year was when things got fun for him. And I think I just halfway mentioned the hardship clause that he used. If you don't recall this from earlier in the series, the, the NBA did not allow players to come in unless they were four years removed from college. But the ABA would allow players to come out as soon as necessary if they were facing financial hardship in their family and whatnot. So that's how he was able to go pro early. Now, Dr. J was picked 12th in the NBA draft. And if he had gone to the NBA 
this was after his first year in the ABA, by the way. He was now four years removed, and he could be drafted into the NBA. So he was picked 12th in the NBA draft, and he actually would have joined Big O and Kareem in Milwaukee. However, he had signed a deal with the Hawks by this point as well. Now, you may be asking about his contract with the Squires, who had drafted him in the ABA. Uh, He had signed a four-year contract. Um, But he had asked to renegotiate his deal because he found out his agent was actually working for the team and had lowballed him on that contract. So now he had three teams fighting for him. He actually went and attended the Hawks training camp and played two exhibition games with the team alongside Pistol Pete before NBA commissioner J. Walter Kennedy decided his NBA rights belonged to the Bucks, He made the Hawks, uh, Walter Kennedy, by the way, made the Hawks pay the Bucks $25,000 per game that Dr. J played. And he actually enjoyed his time with Pistol Pete. And when he did eventually end up back on the team that he belonged to, which I'll get to in a second, uh, he carried over his post-practice one-on-one sessions that he had done with Pistol Pete over with his teammate, George Gervin. Now, a judge issued an injunction that did end up sending him back to the Squires of the ABA. And after another dominant season in his second year, he was actually sold to the Nets by the Squires because they were broke and had no money which I also believe was mentioned earlier in the series. Besides buying Irving from the Squires, the Nets also sent money to the Hawks for their legal fees and the bonus that they had paid Irving when he tried to join their team after his rookie year. Now, the Nets won two titles in the ABA. And they came into the NBA ready to take the league by storm with Dr. J and a nice team that they had put together. However, the New York Knicks ended up suing them for $4.8 million for invading their territory. <laughs> the Nets then refused to pay Irving a salary increase that they had promised him, and he then refused to play for them. Again, this is after a couple years in the ABA, the 1976 mergers going down, and the Nets were, again, poised to come into the NBA and take over, but they were in the same territory as the Knicks, and the Knicks sued them for 4.8 mil. Every team ended up putting a bid in for Julius Irving after this dispute came up, and the Nets actually offered to trade Julius Irving to the Knicks to settle their dispute with them. But the Knicks said no. This ended up being one of the worst decisions in franchise history, according to some historians. Obviously, Dr. J was great, and they probably should have taken that deal. He was worth more than the $4.8 million that uh, they were asking for. The 76ers of Philly then offered the Nets $6 million for him. And again, they had to pay fees to get into the NBA, by the way. And between the $4.8 million lawsuit, the fees to get into the NBA, they basically had to accept the $6 million offer from the 76ers to give them Dr. J. Had this not been done, the Nets likely would not have been able to afford their NBA merger fee. The owner later said that having to sell Irving killed the Nets as an NBA franchise. Uh, With the 76ers, Irving beat the Celtics to get to the finals in his first year as an NBA player. 
but lost to the Blazers in six that the infamous series where he dunked on Bill Walton after they had gone up 2-0 in the series. There was a big brawl uh, between the teams that allegedly ignited the Blazers to come back from down 2-0. It was, uh, started between Daryl Dawkins and Maurice Lucas, if you want to look that up. Now, Dr. J would go on to be one of the first athletes with several big endorsements and a signature shoe with the 76ers. Uh, after some down years, the 76ers acquired Moses Malone and formed one of the greatest teams ever. Uh, they had the infamous finals run where Malone said they were going to go fo 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 through the playoffs. It ended up being fo fa fo but again, it was a dominant run. Dr. J sold out arenas on his farewell tour in his last season. Some additional facts about Dr. J. His number 32 is retired by the Nets and the University of Massachusetts, and his number 6 is retired by the 76ers. He is 27th all-time in playoff points per game, 21st all-time in career points per game, 8th all-time in playoff total points, and 8th all-time in total points. He is the only player to win MVP in the ABA and in the NBA. Uh, the term being posterized was coined to describe what he was doing to people. Before him, dunking was a move reserved for big men and was a show of strength. He bridged the gap between the old school who looked down on dunking and made it more acceptable uh, for those types of fans. Uh, people started to look at it as more of a high percentage shot because he would take off from distance and when he got to the hoop, it made sense to put it down. He also showed that the dunk could be an artistic thing. Uh, after he retired, he started a Bush Series team with Joe Washington, uh, NFL running back, that was active from 1998 to 2000. It was the first completely minority-owned team in NASCAR, uh, and he said he did it to try to raise interest in the sport for African Americans. Some scandalous type things you might not have known about Julius Irvin was he did have a daughter through an affair uh, in around 1980. Uh, the daughter was Alexandra Stevenson, who became a tennis pro. And the the fact that she, he was her father didn't become public knowledge until she made the semifinals at Wimbledon in 1999. Uh, he actually did provide money to the family during the entire time. And everybody did know behind the scenes that it was his kid. Uh, but he had never been really part of her life. He actually didn't end up attending one of her matches until 2009. And he hadn't actually reached out to her at all. She ended up reaching out to him in 2008. Back to basketball, Dr. J was considered an underrated defender. He would guard the best power forward or small forward on the other team for 40 minutes while also being the best all-around player for his team on offense. Also, because the ABA didn't get much TV coverage during the early part of his career, they say we never even saw some of his best plays. Now, when I set out to make this GOAT ranking, my goal was to set it to where a thousand GOAT points put you in that, that upper echelon, put you in that GOAT tier, that tier where it could be arguable that you are the GOAT. And I achieved that. 
these last four gentlemen that we're going to mention are the only four that got 1,000 GOAT points. And Julius Irving, who was number five, actually ended up with 880 GOAT points, while the rest of these guys were over 1,000. Now, before I made a late change, and that was including the the finals runner-up MVP, uh, this order was completely different. And you can make a guess as to what changed, but uh, it was de- it definitely had an effect on this top four uh, and a dramatic one as well. So uh, if you are listening to this on Anchor, then you already know who number four is. So I'm going to stop delaying it. Number four is Bill Russell. He ended up with 1106.17 GOAT points, uh, nicknames Russ and Whiskers. Uh, 6'10 center out of Monroe, Louisiana, who played his college ball at San Francisco. Uh, He played in the NBA from 1956 to 1969. He is retired, and despite his age, he is still around the game. Bill Russell played his entire career with the Boston Celtics. His accolades, he is a Hall of Famer a 12-time All-Star, a five-time rebounding champ from 57 through 59, and then also in 1964 and 65, a three-time All-NBA first-team selection, eight-time All-NBA second-team selection, the ninth, a 1969 All-Defensive guy, five-time MVP from 1958, 1961 through 63, and then 1965. When I did my additional calculations, and again, I didn't do the finals MVP. I got that from someone else who had done the calculations. He won five finals MVPs, 1960, 62, 63, 65, and 66. Again, the finals MVP did not exist during his career, so that's why he got them this way. He also won the Defensive Player of the Year 11 times. When I did my calculations. And again, he played, I believe, 13 seasons, if I'm not mistaken. And when we did the calculations, again, he played before the Defensive Player of the Year existed. He won 11 Defensive Player of the Year awards from 1958 through 67. And then again in 1969 with Wilt stealing that one in the middle there. He was also a 13-time all-defensive first-team selection. Again, this was before his career started. So, again, all-defensive first-team every year of his career when I did my calculations. And all of that adds up when you when you hear about who he was, when you know who he was. Uh, as many already know, Bill did have 11 rings, winning in 1957, 1959 through 66 when they won eight in a row. And then again in 1968 and 69. As far as American sports go, his 11 rings is only matched by Henry Richard uh, as far as total rings again. Now his claim to fame, uh, Bill Russell was the first black NBA superstar. Uh, His run as a player coach in 1966 through 1969 also made him the first black coach in North American pro sports. And of course, during that time, he also became the first black coach to win a title. His story. 
As a kid growing up in Louisiana, his family dealt with a lot of prejudice. His father had a gun stuck in his face for trying to leave a gas station after being told that he had to wait for all the white customers to be served. His mother, who wore a nice dress in the town one day and was told by a cop to go home and change out of that white woman's dress. When he was eight years old, the family moved to Oakland, California. They were poor, however, so Russell spent a large portion of his childhood living in housing projects. He was close to his mom, but she tragically died when he was 12. He got closer to his father, who switched jobs to be able to spend more time with his family. He idolized his dad, and he also idolized George Mikan. He was a great athlete, but he wasn't good at basketball and didn't understand the game until his junior year of high school. He was initially told not to leave his feet on defense, but he kept doing it and blocking shots, and suddenly people stopped complaining about it. He would study his opponent's footwork to know when they were going to shoot so he'd know when to time his jump, when he could leave his feet, and when to stay down. Watching him play in college, George Mikan said, let's face it, he's the best ever. He's so good, he scares you. Which is funny when you consider hardly anyone recruited Bill Russell. Even the San Francisco coach said his scoring was meh and his fundamentals were atrocious. But he liked his instincts for the game. It was when he offered Russell the scholarship that he realized it was when he offered Russell the scholarship that Bill Russell realized that this was his ticket out of poverty. His coach at San Francisco was the first to start three black players. And he was noted for being able to, Bill Russell was noted for being able to guard bigs as well as wing players and was was described as having the foot speed of a guard on defense. He's also credited with being part of the reason the lane was widened and why basket interference was outlawed as well. So tracking back to the rule changes, we know Mike and Wilt had something to do with uh, the lane being widened. Mike got it widened to 12. Uh, They're saying Bill Russell was part of that part with Wilt Chamberlain where they widened it to 16. And then... um, What was I going to say? Oh, we know that Mikan got defensive goaltending changed. Wilt got offensive goaltending changed. And Bill Russell got basket interference, which is touching the ball like on the rim. Got that outlawed. When Russell entered the draft, the Celtics pursuing him was considered odd. Because he was a defensive guy and not a scorer, which everyone was after scores, of course. But Red Auerbach thought he was the anchor that they needed. They knew they wouldn't be able to draft him, actually, uh, because they believed they had the third pick. But the Royals passed on him, either because they had a rebounding big or due to a bribe, depending on who you ask. And then St. Louis did draft him, but they were hoping that the Celtics would trade them their six-time All-Star center. Uh, Ed McCauley, who was actually from St. Louis. The Celtics, of course, agreed to this since they had their eyes on Bill Russell anyway. And McCauley was perfectly fine with it because he had asked to be traded to St. Louis also to be close to his sick son. St. Louis also, because they had the leverage, of course, asked for Cliff Hagen, who was a great player who was coming back from the war. 
The Celtics were perfectly fine with that as well. And that draft where Bill Russell was drafted, the Celtics made a couple other picks in the draft, and three of them turned into Hall of Famers. Russell actually missed part of the season his rookie year to compete in the Olympics and only played 48 games. It was clear, though, that the high-scoring Celtics had finally secured their defensive anchor almost immediately. They actually called his block shots Wilson Burgers because he was stuffing the Wilson basketballs back into opponents' faces. Having him back there let the rest of the team play aggressively on defense and then get out on the fast break by forcing turnovers. That finals loss in 1957 can be somewhat attributed to the fact that Russell missed game four and five after getting injured in game three. And that was one of the two seasons he didn't win a championship. When Red Auerbach stepped down from coaching, he initially asked Frank Ramsey, Bob Cousy, and then Tom Heinsohn to coach the team before Tom suggested that Bill should be the coach. The eight championship winning streak by the Celtics ended his first year as coach. But they lost to that record-setting 68-win team of the 76ers with Wilt. He, took, he actually shook Wilt's hand after the game. And after the game, he also took his grandfather into the Celtics locker room. And his grandfather broke down crying when he saw John Havlicek, a white man, and Sam Jones, a black man, in the shower together talking about basketball. He had never been more proud of his grandson. The next year, the Celtics came back from a 3-1 deficit to beat the 76ers in the series that followed the MLK assassination, as you may recall from the Wilt section. During that 1968-69 season, the next year, Bill Russell was worn down mentally. Between the Robert Kennedy assassination, the Vietnam War, and issues in his marriage, he was just tired. He was convinced that the U.S. was corrupt and that he was wasting his time playing basketball. He kind of loafed through the season, gaining weight and missing team meetings. However, the team, despite not being a top seed, upset their way through the playoffs and got back to the finals. Where the Lakers infamously let, let it be known they were planning to win game seven with the big balloon celebration. And they actually had put some celebration plans in the programs as well. Of course, the Celtics did win that game by two. And this was the game where after the game, Bill Russell went over to console Jerry West for having beat him so many times. After the season, Bill Russell did not go to any of the celebrations he actually retired and went on about his life, stunning the fans and everyone else. It was so sudden that Red Auerbach didn't even have time to replace him, not only as a player, but also as a coach. Russell also sold his retirement story to Sports Illustrated for $10,000, and through all of this, Boston fans felt betrayed by him. Some facts about Bill Russell. He's second in career rebounds per game. He's the only player besides Wilt to pull down 50 rebounds in a game. His number six is retired by the Celtics and the San Francisco Dons. He's one of those other guys that averaged 20 and 20 in college, like Dr. J did. 
He was ranked the seventh best high jumper in the world his senior year of college. Uh, baseball Hall of Famer Frank Robinson was actually a teammate of his in high school. Bill actually met with the Globetrotters after college, but when the owner of the Globetrotters refused to speak with him directly and only would talk to his coach, uh, he decided that he was going to go to the NBA because he was very, very sensitive to any type of prejudice actions. He was known for being surly with the media and with fans and barely signing autographs. He actually did not go to his Hall of Fame ceremonies either. One year after being provoked all night by Ray Felix, he complained to Red Auerbach, who told him to handle it himself. Russell beat Felix until he was unconscious, paid his $25 fine, and not too many people messed with him again after that. As I mentioned, Bill Russell was the coach of the Celtics during his last two seasons in the in the league, 68 and 69. One thing about Bill Russell and the fact that he ends up at number four on this list is amazing considering he never averaged 19 points a game or more in any season. Another interesting fact about him is that the NBA Finals trophy is named after him, though he never technically won one. Also, considering his uh, allegedly surly personality, you might also be shocked to learn that he did some TV appearances, including hosting Saturday Night Live. And again, Bill Russell ending up on this list despite not being a prolific scorer, it made me feel good about the formula because initially I was kind of thinking I might have set it up against him in some way, but the fact that he ends up here between me... I mean, between him not being a big-time scorer and the fact that I didn't count rings as anything in this formula, uh, again, let me feel good about how it, sh- it shook out. And um, I think Bill being coming in at number four and being as close as he is to these, these top four guys is, is perfect. <laughs> Moving forward to number three on our list. And again, I love the way this list shook out. Um, the guys, the four guys at the top were the four guys I expected to be at the top and the order didn't necessarily shake out how I imagined, but again, I have no complaints. So number three on our list to end the suspense for anyone, again, not listening on anchor is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He ended up with 1153.75 GOAT points. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's nicknames were Lou which was his birth name, uh, Cap, and Murdoch. Kareem was a seven foot two center from New York, New York, who played his college ball at UCLA. And I, I, I realized this as I was sitting down to, to record this just now. Think about Bill Russell entering the league in 56 and leaving in 69. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar came into the league in 1969, and he played through 1989. He is still around the game, of course. Uh, his teams in the NBA were the Bucks and the Lakers. Kareem's accolades run long. He was a Hall of Famer, a 19-time All-Star, the 1970 Rookie of the Year, a two-time scoring champ in 71 and 72, 1976 rebound champ, a four-time block champ in 75, 76, 79, and 80, 
a 10-time All-NBA First Team selection, 5-time All-NBA Second Team selection, 5-time All-Defensive First Team, 6-time All-Defensive Second Team, 2-time Finals MVP in 1971 and 1985, which a 14-year separation, 6-time MVP in 1971, 72, 74, 76, 77, and 1980. When I did my additional calculations, he also won 2.25 Defensive Player of the Year shares. Uh, he won a full share for 1976, which was, again, the first year ABA, or the last year of the ABA, so before they merged. Uh, he got a half a share for 1974, and he got a partial share in 1977, 79, and 80, but all of it added up to two and two quarters, or two and a quarter. He also got one finals runner-up MVP in 1983. Uh, and then again, 1983 was the last year before the playoffs expanded to 16 teams. Uh, Kareem also won six rings to go along with his six MVP trophies in 1971 with the Bucks, 1980, 82, 85, 87, and 88 with the Lakers and Magic Johnson. His claim to fame was his trademark skyhook shot, which, again, is considered by most to be the most unstoppable shot of all time. Again, he was seven foot two, so you can only imagine how high that hook was. Unlike other dominant bigs, Kareem was skinny and not a bruiser. He used his finesse game to dominate. He could run the floor with magic and he hit his free throws. He said he developed a skyhook in fifth grade while practicing the mic and drill. His six MVP awards are a league record, as are his 19 All-Star Game appearances. Kareem's story, he was big from day one, unlike some of the other guys on this list. He weighed in at 12 pounds and 11 ounces as a baby and was 22 and a half inches. By the eighth grade, he was six foot eight. His high school team won 71 straight games when he was there and went 79 and two overall. His senior year, things somewhat fell apart for him after his coach called him the N-word. UCLA went 88 and 2 in his 3 years as a player there. Remember freshmen could not play at the time. And I'll also note that during his freshman year, the freshman team beat the varsity team 75 to 60. Uh he had 31 points and 21 boards in that game, and people joked that the UCLA varsity team was number 1 in the country, but number 2 on their campus. One of his two losses was to Houston when he got a scratched cornea in the game. And the other was when USC held the ball the rest of the game. You know, this was before the shot clock. The dunk was actually banned after his first year with the varsity team in UCLA and would not be unbanned until 1977. He refused to compete in the 1968 Olympics because of how African-Americans were treated in the United States. 
Kareem also turned down a $1 million offer from the Globetrotters and decided to enter the ABA and NBA draft. He was picked in the NBA by the Bucks and the ABA by the Nets, who thought that they would have an advantage because they were from New York. He told both teams that they could only make him one offer, and the Nets came in low with theirs. He accepted the Bucks' offer of $1.4 million, and then the Nets tried to come back and offer him $3.25 million, but he declined, saying that a bidding war degrades everyone involved, and he didn't want to do that to himself. His rookie year with the Bucks, he averaged 28.8 and 14.5 boards. The next year, the team added the Big O, and that was enough to get them to the title. In 1975, he was traded to the Lakers after publicly stating earlier in the year that he loved the Bucks fans, but that Milwaukee didn't fulfill his cultural needs. Kareem remained statistically dominant, but was not having a ton of postseason success during his early years with the Lakers. In fact, uh, he faced Bill Walton's Blazers and was completely swept by them in the finals the one time he did get through. In 77-78, he punched Kent Benson after being elbowed and broke Benson's jaw, but also broke his own hand. He actually wasn't suspended because he missed two games with that injury. And this was the only year that he missed the All-Star game, by the way. It wasn't until Magic arrived in 1979 that things started to change for the Lakers. They proceeded to go to eight finals during the 80s, winning five of them. After he retired, Kareem actually had a strong desire to coach, but much like Bill Russell, he wasn't the friendliest guy during his career, and it cost him. He was a special assistant on the Lakers from 2005 to 2011, but he never got the head coaching job that he desired. Kareem has spoken spoken at length about converting publicly to Islam at 24. He mentioned that many of the slaves before they were brought over were Muslims, and that his family was brought to America by a French planter whose last name was Alcindor. He said that his family was from the Yoruba tribe and that the Yoruba culture had survived slavery. His father had found all this information out and passed the knowledge along to him. And again, this played a role in him converting to Islam, which he did in college, though it didn't become public until he was 24 and in the NBA. His number 33 is retired by the Bucks, the Lakers, and UCLA. He is 24th all-time in playoff points per game, 16th all-time in career points per game, 3rd in total playoff points, 3rd all-time in blocks, which began being tracked in his 4th season in the league. He's 1st in career total points. He still holds... The record for field goals made and career wins as well. And he also still holds several UCLA scoring records. He's the only player in NCAA history to win three most outstanding player awards in the NCAA tournament. And by the way, he did publicly convert to Islam the day after he won his uh, title with the Bucks as Lucy Alcindor. Uh, he had his cornea scratched, excuse me, for the second time 
during the preseason in 1974. Remember the first time was in against Houston in college. It happened again in the NBA during the preseason in 1974. And he punched a stanchion after it happened and broke his hand. Uh, when he returned was when he brought out the goggles for the first time. While at UCLA, he trained with Bruce Lee, and he credited that training for allowing him to play for as long as he did. Having spent a lot of time in L.A., Jabbar did do some acting in movies like Game of Death with Bruce Lee and the allegedly, according to studies, funniest movie as far as laughs per minute of all time, Airplane. He also appeared in a ton of television shows from Living Single to Full House. Uh, And he's also credited, or he was announced, I should say, as a writer on the new Veronica Mars revival uh, as of last year. As many of you know, Kareem is also one of the most outspoken athletes when it comes to matters of race. And during his career, he did consider Will a race traitor and was very harsh against him publicly. And that's really all I got for Kareem. And we're going to take a quick break before we get into the top two. I know this is what you've been waiting for. Who's it going to be? We'll find out in a minute. 2020's Finally, the moment you've been waiting for. Number two on our list is none other than LeBron James. Now, there was a note I made about Kareem coming into the league the year that Bill Russell retired. Well, LeBron actually came into the league the year after. The guy who you can assume now is number one, Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan's finally retired in 2003, and that was the year that LeBron James entered the league. And it is not lost on me that those two things happened. There was some slight overlap between Michael Jordan and Kareem between 84 and 89 when Kareem walked away from the game. But other than that, these four guys kind of lined up right behind each other, one behind the other, which I think is pretty amazing. Uh, And if you want to take it a step further, you can look at Mike and being the guy right before Bill Russell got there in 56. So, again, beautiful, beautiful the way this all lined up. I I wanted to get a cross-section, across generations uh, of of greatness throughout every every, uh, decade, and I uh, I accomplished that. I'm I'm very proud of that. Um, The... After I put out this these 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 breakdowns, I'm gonna also have a like breakdown of like how many guys from different eras, how many guys were teammates, et cetera, and so forth. So uh, be on the lookout for that. But uh, I, let's get back to the topic at hand. Number two on our list is LeBron James. Nicknames King James, LBJ, or the Chosen One. LeBron is a six nine small forward, point guard, power forward, depending on where 
you look in his career, uh, out of Akron, Ohio, came to the NBA straight out of high school and has been playing in the NBA since the year 2003, still active and still crushing it as we speak. He is actually not that far behind Michael Jordan when you look at the GOAT points. Uh, So definitely be on the lookout for that when it comes out in the written version. LeBron across his career has played with the Cavaliers, the Heat, the Cavaliers again, and the Lakers. Uh, He is a 16-time All-Star, the 2004 Rookie of the Year, the 2008 Scoring Champ, the 2020 Assist Champ, a 13-time All-NBA First Team selection, a two-time All-NBA Second Team selection, one-time All-NBA Third Team, five-time All-Defensive First Team, uh, one All-Defensive Second Team, a four-time Finals MVP in 2012, 13, 16, and 20, uh, a four-time MVP in 2009, 10, 12, and 13. When I did my additional calculation, LeBron, of course, got five finals runner-up MVPs. The one finals loss where he didn't get it was 2011, uh, which I believe is what actually got Dwayne Wade into the top 50, by the way. Um, The five losing finals situation and having a great performance is by far the most of any other player. But Dr. J did have three finals losses, MVPs, which, again, is probably uh, contributed to him ending up in the top five. Uh, LeBron's rings. Uh, before I did that that final runner-up thing, by the way, uh, LeBron was in fourth on this list. He would have been behind Bill Russell and Kareem uh, before I made that that change. So keep that in mind. LeBron does have four rings in 2012-2013 with the Heat, 2016 with the Cavs, and 2020 with the Lakers. His claim to fame is his place on the list. Uh, Many people consider him the greatest player of all time, and he came very close to securing that title here. Uh, Some say he's a combination of Magic, the Big O, and Michael Jordan. And though he is criticized for it as well by some, LeBron is credited with shifting the balance of power in the NBA to the players. When discussed against Jordan, the older generation always says Michael. The younger generation usually says LeBron. And most point to Jordan having more rings and having an unblemished finals record as the things that keep him ahead of LeBron. But let's get into LeBron's story. And for LeBron and Michael, I went very deep on the story. I I took it again to childhood, and I pretty much go year by year through their career. So if you're willing to bear with me through that, then then you're truly a fan. Uh, So LeBron was born to a 16-year-old mother and had a father who was in and out of jail and not in his life. Uh, They moved a lot when he was a kid, and he lived in some very rough neighborhoods while his mom struggled hopping from job to job. Uh, she made the difficult decision of allowing a youth football coach to take named Frank Walker to take him in, and Frank introduced him to the game at the age of nine. LeBron and three of his childhood friends dubbed themselves the Fab Four, and they vowed to play high school ball together. Uh, it actually ended up being a controversial move when the boys decided to go to St. Vincent St. Mary's, which was a private high school with a predominantly white student body. After going undefeated his freshman year, the team had to play some games at the University of Akron Arena 
to satisfy ticket demands his sophomore year. He was the first sophomore to win Mr. Basketball in Ohio and the first sophomore to be named to USA's Today's All-USA First Team. Before his junior year, he was in Slam Magazine and on the cover of Sports Illustrated, the first underclassman to do so. He then became the first junior to be named to the Gatorade National Player, named the Gatorade National Player of the Year. Uh, he actually tried to petition the NBA to allow him to go pro after his junior year, but was unsuccessful. Uh, he made the USA Today first team again and was the Mr. Basketball for the third straight year after his senior year in high school. Uh, his high school career was not without controversy. Uh, he ac- accepted a Hummer as a gift at one point and was investigated for it, but he got away with it because the gift technically came from his mom, who had been given a loan by another party based on his talents. But because he didn't receive it directly, he was not penalized. When LeBron got to the NBA, he scored 25 points in his first game, which was the most points by a player straight out of high school in their debut. Uh, He became the third player to average 20 points, five boards, five assists as a rookie as well. Though the Cavaliers improved in both of his first two years, they did miss the playoffs both years. Uh, He finished second in MVP voting to Steve Nash in year three, and he had a triple-double in his first playoff game and hit his first buzzer beater after game three of his first playoff series. He hit another buzzer beater in game five of that series against the Wizards, and they beat the Wizards, but lost in the second round to the Pistons. The next season, year four of his career, LeBron's regular season numbers dropped, but the team had the same record, and this time they made it to the conference finals. LeBron had 48 points, nine boards, and seven assists, and scored 29 of the team's last 30 points in game five, which is regarded as one of the greatest performances in NBA playoff history. Kerr said it was Jordan-esque. The Cavs won the series, and LeBron was in his first ever finals in 2007. However, LeBron struggled in the finals as the Spurs forced him to become a jump shooter, and he only shot 35.6% for the series, and the Cavaliers were swept. In year five, LeBron became the Cavaliers' all-time leading scorer and won his lone scoring title in the NBA, but the team lost to the Celtics in the second round. In game seven of that series, LeBron had 45 points and Paul Pierce had 41 in a shootout, but Paul Pierce and the Celtics prevailed. In year six, which was the year 2008-2009, Mo Williams came to the team, and the Cavaliers went on to win 66 games, and LeBron won his first MVP trophy. He also finished second in Defensive Player of the Year voting that year. At this point, his greatness was already unquestionable. The Cavaliers went to the conference finals again, where they met Dwight Howard in his magic. Um, LeBron averaged 38, 8, and 8 during that season, but they lost, or during that series, but they team lost in six games. Uh, LeBron infamously left the court without shaking any of the Magic's players' hands and was criticized by the media. The next year in the 2010 playoffs, things truly fell apart. In the second round against the Celtics, LeBron shot 20% from the field in in a Game 5 loss and scored only 15 points. 
He was actually booed off the court. And the Celtics, or the Celtics, the Cavaliers were eliminated in game six of that series. Of course, that was the infamous Delonte West potentially sleeping with his mother situation. Which, uh, if true, I can imagine that would have been difficult to deal with. That summer was the summer of 2010 where LeBron made the decision and changed his fate and the course of the league. Everyone was stunned by the move and even more people felt that it was handled in a tasteless way by making it a TV special, even if the proceeds were donated to charity. Pat Riley had actually sold him on the idea of taking on less of a scoring load and being the first player to average a triple-double since the Big O. Fans, players, and legends like Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson were critical of him choosing to step down from being the man in Cleveland to chase a ring. LeBron actually publicly blamed some of his criticism on race and drew even more backlash. He was officially a villain at this point. They were hated by everyone all season in 2010-11, and LeBron admitted that this affected the way he played. They beat the Celtics in what LeBron described as an important emotional victory in the playoffs that year, and they made it to the finals before losing to the Dallas Mavericks. LeBron averaged just three fourth-quarter points per game in that series and averaged just 17.8 points per game total, which was third on the team behind Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. It was an 8.9-point-per-game drop from his regular season total, which is the largest point drop-off in NBA history. It is this finals performance that holds him back the most in GOAT conversations, to me and many others who have these conversations. LeBron said that that summer he decided to shed the villain role that he had embraced and tried to have fun with the game again after that. He trained with Hakeem Olajuwon in the offseason to improve his postgame, and that upcoming season, 2011-12, he won his third MVP award. When Bosch went down with injury in the playoffs, LeBron was forced to put the team on his back and successfully did so, earning his first title against Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, James Harden, and the 2012, 2012 Warriors. Not Warriors, Thunder. <laughs> I got ahead of myself. I apologize. The 2012-2013 season will see him repeating as MVP, falling one vote short of being the first unanimous MVP, and he repeated as a champion. His 37 points in Game 7 tied the record for the most points in a Game 7 victory in Finals history, and he finally got his revenge on the Spurs for what they did to him in 2007. The next year, the Heat struggled with injuries, but LeBron still carried them to the finals where they lost to the Spurs, and LeBron decided to leave again and go back to Cleveland to fulfill a promise. In 2014-15, he lost Kyrie and Kevin Love due to injuries and was almost named finals MVP after averaging 35.8 points, 13.3 rebounds, and 8.8 assists for the series despite losing. The next year in the 2016 finals, the Cavs went down three games to one against the 73-win Warriors, and LeBron responded with two straight 41-point games and wins in games five and six, 
In Game 7, he had a triple-double and had that famous block on Iguodala. It was the first championship won by a Cleveland sports team in 52 years and the first finals 3-1 comeback. He was also the first player to lead both teams in all five major statistical categories for a playoff round. And I put an asterisk on that because, of course, uh, blocks and steals were not tracked during the time of Wilt and Bill Russell. Or George Mikan, for that fact. In 2017, after criticizing the team's roster as top-heavy, LeBron carried the Cavaliers to the finals yet again to meet the Warriors, who had added Kevin Durant at this point. LeBron averaged a triple-double in the playoffs with 33.6 points, 12 boards, and 10 assists, the first to average a triple-double in the finals. Uh, But they lost to those Warriors in five games. After the 2017 season, Kyrie Irving requested a trade because he didn't want to play with LeBron anymore, and that trade was indeed granted. LeBron and the Cavaliers overcame a very slow start to the season and still went back to the finals to meet those Kevin Durant-laden Warriors again. LeBron scored 51 points in the Game 1 overtime loss and averaged 34 points, 8.5 rebounds, and 10 assists though the Cavaliers ended up being swept by an overpowered Warriors team again. Finally, LeBron moved to Los Angeles. He said that his first move to Miami was for a ring. His second move back to Cleveland was to fulfill the promise he had made that he would get them a ring. And now his move to L.A. was just about being happy. After the Lakers looked to be on their way to the playoffs early in the year, LeBron suffered the first major injury of his career with a groin injury, and he missed 17 games. The team eventually missed the playoffs, and this was the first time for LeBron since his second year in the league. Finally, we get to this past season, the 2019-2020 year, where the Lakers made a gigantic trade to bring in Anthony Davis, who's also already on this list, as well as some other key veterans like John Rondo and Dwight Howard, who was on this list. And the team were officially contenders again. LeBron passed Kobe on the all-time scoring list the day before Kobe's tragic death. Uh, LeBron actually played more like a point guard this past season and led the league in assists for the first time. The team cruised to a title in the bubble, and LeBron became the first player to win Finals MVP with three different teams, and the second oldest to win a Finals MVP trophy at 35, behind Kareem, who won one at 38. Some additional facts about LeBron. He is currently, and again, these things can change, and that could affect whether or not he makes that leap to number one based on how this list is composed, but he's currently fifth in playoff points per game and fourth in career points per game. He is first in total playoff points, of course, third in total regular season points. His 16 All-NBA selections and 13 first-team selection are also both records. Uh, He's the only player to bring titles to three different franchises, though Kawhi could do that if he wins one with the Clippers. Uh, The ring that LeBron brought Cleveland in 2016 again ended the city's 52-year pro sports title drought. Uh, LeBron was an all-state wide receiver his sophomore year, 
in high school, and some speculate that he could have gone to the NFL had he chosen to play football instead of basketball. Um, again, LeBron was very close to passing Jordan on our list, and you'll see that when the written version comes out. Um, but he actually had been previously number four before I gave him credit for being the best player on a finals losing team. Uh, some additional notes about LeBron. He has become a very outspoken player on issues of race and inequality. Uh, it's something that Jordan was criticized for not doing during his career. And LeBron, though some may have hated him for many things early in his career, it's hard to hate him now just at, for the man he is, the father he's become. And quite frankly, uh, for me personally, I've learned to try to appreciate what we're watching because uh, again, these guys only come around once every 20 years or so. And with that, we will move to number one on our list. <laughs> Finally, and since the mystery is dead, I'll just say it. Number one on our greatest of all time list is none other than Michael Jordan. His nicknames, Air Jordan, MJ, His Airness, The Black Cat. Some just call him Goat and Black Jesus. Michael Jordan was a 6'6 shooting guard from Brooklyn, New York. Yes, he was born in Brooklyn. Uh, played his high school in Wilmington, North Carolina. Uh, went to the University of North Carolina for his college years. Uh, he played in the NBA between 1984 and 2003, missing four full seasons due to retirement and most of a couple others. He is currently still around the game as a the owner of the Charlotte Hornets. Michael Jordan played his career mostly with the Chicago Bulls before ending with the Washington Wizards. Jordan is, of course, a Hall of Famer, a 14-time All-Star, the 10-time scoring champion from 87 through 93, and then 96 through 98. He's a three-time steel champ, steals champion, I should say, uh, 1988, 90, and 93. He was the 1985 Rookie of the Year, the 1988 Defensive Player of the Year, a 10-time All-NBA First Team selection, one All-NBA Second Team, a nine-time All-Defensive First Selection, six-time Finals MVP, and five-time Regular Season MVP in 88, 91, 92, 96, and 98. I did my calculations. He did not get any additional accolades. Um, of course, his six rings were accumulated from 91 through 93 and then 96 through 98 and two three-peats. Jordan's claim to fame. He is a winner, a killer, a psychopath obsessed with winning. He was a noted trash talker, and his competitive drive actually led to many of his teammates being traded away for not being tough enough to play with him. His name is synonymous with the will to win and having that it factor. He had a noted fadeaway jumper that most felt was unguardable because of how quick he was and how athletic he was and how far, of course, he would fade away. Uh, he was setting. <clears throat> he set records with blocks by a guard and is third all time in steals. Jerry West said that his defensive game was more impressive than his offensive game. Uh, he's widely regarded as the greatest of all time, and that is confirmed by this ranking. 
Uh, he is also credited with popularizing the NBA around the globe. What is Michael's story? As I mentioned, he was born in New York. Uh, the family moved to North Carolina when he was five years old. Uh, there's a story that people always tell about Michael Jordan being cut from his team. But the uh, story is kind of taken out of context. He was actually cut from the varsity team as a sophomore because of his height at just 5'11 at the time, not because he couldn't hoop. He did play on the JV team his sophomore year, and he had several 40-point games that year. Later in college, he played three years at UNC, including winning a title his freshman year in 1982. Uh, He actually hit the game winner in that title game and described that shot as a major turning point in his basketball career. The North Carolina team played team ball, so he only really averaged 17.7 points per game at UNC, but he did still get drafted third in the 1984 draft after leaving his junior year. By the way, he did go and finish his degree in 1986. Now, the two guys drafted ahead of Jordan in that draft, if you were wondering, are Hakeem Olajuwon, who was uh, a few places back on this list, and Sam Bowie. The Blazers and Rockets both wanted or needed, depending on who you ask, centers. Although the Blazers are often criticized for passing on them since Hakeem ended up being uh, an all-time great as well. Uh, But they had just drafted Clyde Drexler before, and he was a very similar player to Jordan at the time. You had to know that they they couldn't know what Jordan was going to become at that point. Uh, Jordan went on to average 28.2 points per game his rookie year and quickly became a fan favorite even in opposing arenas. He was an all-star his first year and the vets didn't like it. Isaiah Thomas, for example, led a contingent of vets who aimed to freeze him out of the all-star game. In his second year in the league, Jordan broke his foot just three games into the season and missed 64 games. The team made the playoffs with a 30-52 and record, which is the fifth worst record of a playoff team in NBA history at the time. Uh, they ended up facing the 1986 Celtics, who, if you recall during the Larry Bird talk, are considered one of the greatest teams of all time, probably top five at least. And again, that was his second year, coming off a foot injury, missed 64 games. Uh, in that series, the Bulls ended up being swept But game two of that series was where Jordan set the NBA record with 63 points in a playoff game. In his third season, which was the 86-87 season, if you're keeping track at home, a fully healthy Jordan became the only player other than Wilt to score 3,000 points in a season, averaging 37.1 points per game. He also became the first player to have 200 steals and 100 blocks in a season. And, of course, I throw the asterisk on that because, of course, Wilt and Bill Russell probably did that, too. But we'll never know. Magic won the MVP that year, despite all of Jordan's accomplishments statistically. The Bulls only won 40 games that year, which was likely a factor in that. And they were swept by the Celtics in the playoffs for the second straight year. In year four, Jordan continued his scoring tear and won the MVP and Defensive Player of the Year awards. Uh, He averaged 1.6 blocks and over three steals a game that season. Uh, The Bulls won 50 games finally and got out of the first round, only to lose in the second round to the bad boy Pistons. 
In year five of his career, with the 88-89 season, the Bulls would make it to the conference finals following a Jordan buzzer beater over Craig Elo in the first round and then a win over the Knicks in the second round. The Pistons implemented the Jordan rules, double and triple teaming him every time he touched the ball, and the Bulls lost again. Year six was the last full year without a ring for Michael Jordan. Pippen and Horace Grant had started to step up, and the team hired Phil Jackson as well that year. However, the Bulls still lost to the Pistons in seven in the conference finals. Finally, in the 1990-91 season, Jordan won his second MVP trophy, and the Bulls won the division for the first time since the mid-70s, winning 61 games. Scottie Pippen at this point finally made an all-star team, and the Bulls met the Pistons in the conference finals again, but this time they swept them. They met Magic Johnson and the Lakers in the finals and got rid of them in five games. They only lost two total games during that playoff run. Game two of the Bulls-Lakers series is when Jordan did the famous hand-switched layup. Jordan averaged 31 points, 11.4 assists, 6.6 rebounds, 2.8 steals, and 1.4 blocks in that series. And, of course, infamously cried holding the finals MVP trophy. The next season, the Bulls won 67 games. Jordan was the MVP again. They were actually pushed to seven games by the Knicks in the second round of the playoffs, but made it to the finals where they met Clyde Drexler's Blazers. The media wanted a bird-magic rivalry between Jordan and Drexler, but Jordan wanted no parts of that. He came out and scored 35 points in the first half of Game 1, including six three-pointers, though he was not noted as a great three-point shooter by most. And this was the game where he infamously shrugged going back up to court after one of his shots. He was Finals MVP again, averaging 358 4.8 boards and 6.5 assists in the, in the finals. 1993, Jordan continued to be a dominant scorer and finished second in Defensive Player of the Year voting, but lost the MVP trophy to Barkley, who he ended up meeting in the finals. Of course, John Paxson hit the game-winning shot, and Grant had a big block late in the game, but Jordan did average a finals record 41 points per game for the series becoming the first player to win three straight finals MVPs. Now, people had already started to notice that Jordan was getting tired of being a massive celebrity, along with other problems in his life, despite his major on-court successes. Jordan notably had some gambling issues, though he said it never got to the point where he was putting his family in jeopardy or their finances. Um, There were rumors that he was secretly suspended, because of his gambling issues, but they've been denied vehemently by uh, David Stern, of course, at the time. But some people still believe that happened to this day. Officially, Jordan retired because he said he had lost his desire to play basketball. Uh, his father had actually been murdered in July of 1993, and this also greatly affected him. Jordan noted that him sticking out his tongue when he drove to the hole came from watching his dad do that while immersed in his work. Jordan actually went on further to say that he was actually preparing to retire in 1993 as early as the summer before after the Dream Team run because he was just so worn down by being 
the, this massive celebrity that he had become uh, in basketball. The game was stunned, of course, and even more so when he ended up signing a baseball contract with the White Sox. He said that he did this because his father wanted him to play baseball. The Bulls retired his jersey in 1994, uh, expecting at this point that he wouldn't be coming back. Without him for that one full season in the 93-94 season, the Bulls did win 55 games, but they lost in the second round of the playoffs to the Knicks. However, the second year without him, the 94-95 season, the Bulls were actually off to a 31-31 start by March. However, fate had intervened. There was an MLB strike, and Jordan, who had been playing in the minor leagues, feared that he may get called up as a replacement player to break the strike. So on March 18th, he announced that he was coming back to the NBA with the simple two-word statement, I'm back. Literally the next day, he was on the court and scored 19 points. Uh, that game had the highest ratings of any game since 1975. And again, this was in 1995. He famously wore his baseball number, 45, though he technically could have worn his number 23 if he wanted to. He scored 55 points in just his fifth game back, and the Bulls went 13-4 and after he joined the team that year. They got back to the conference finals, and in game one of that series against the Magic, Nick Anderson stripped Mike, and it led to a game winner at the end of that game. Uh, after the game, he was noted as saying that Mike didn't look like the old Mike and that he didn't have the explosion that he used to. Orlando went on to win that series in six games. Motivated by that loss, Jordan went back to the lab before the next season. Fresh off his loss, the team added Dennis Rodman. They started the 95-96 season 41-3 and and set the record with 72 wins. Of course, that record was broken later by the 2016 Warriors. Uh, Jordan was MVP of the league again, and the Bulls lost one game while cruising through the East and beat the Sonics in the finals in six. Jordan famously cried clutching the game ball in the locker room thinking of his father after the his fourth ring. The 96-97 season saw Jordan and the Bulls win 69 games. Nice. And Malone, though, won the MVP over Jordan. Once again, Jordan faced the guy who took the MVP trophy from him in the finals, and Jordan hit a buzzer beater in Game 1 and Game 5 with the series, tied it to... Jordan played with a stomach virus. I'm sorry, he had a buzzer beater in game one and in game five with the series tied at two. He played with a stomach virus where he had a fever and was dehydrated. Uh, You may know this as the flu game. Uh, He ended up scoring 38 points in that game, including hitting a three with 25 seconds left to put the Bulls on top. And they ended up winning 90 to 88. They took the series in six games and he took home his fifth Finals MVP trophy. That year, he had also posted the first All-Star Game triple-double. And then finally, in 97-98, Jordan's Bulls dropped to just 60 wins during the regular season, but he did get his fifth MVP award. The Pacers, coached by Larry Bird at this point, pushed the Bulls to seven 
which was the first seven-game series Jordan had seen since 1992. But they were back in the finals to face the Jazz again after beating the Pacers. The Bulls went up three games to two, and in game six, down 86 to 83 with 41.9 seconds left, Jordan took over the game. He got a quick score out of a timeout. The Jazz came back up the court and got the ball to Carl Malone in the post, working on Dennis Rodman. But Malone hadn't noticed that Jordan had snuck baseline on him, and Jordan stole the ball away. He drove up the court slowly and methodically sizing up Byron Russell, and with 10 seconds left, he started his drive to the basket. He crossed back over. Some say he pushed off, but he hit the jumper with 5.2 left on the clock to put the Bulls up one. Stockton came down the court and missed a buzzer beater, and this second this solidified the second three-peat of Jordan and his sixth finals MVP. The 1998 Finals is still the highest-rated Finals in NBA history, and that Game 6 was the highest-rated game in NBA history as well. After winning his sixth title, his second three-peat, Jordan retired for the second time. Jordan later became a part owner of the Wizards and was in charge of personnel decisions, drafting Kwame Brown and making other Controversial moves. But inspired by Mario Lemieux, Jordan did make one more comeback. In 2001, he signed with the Wizards, uh, saying that he would donate his salary to a relief fund for 9-11 victims. He led the team in scoring assists and steals that year. But he injured his name, injured his name, injured his knee 60 games into the season. He did play one more season with the Wizards playing in all 82 games and expected to go back to his front office job after he retired, but the Wizards fired him. He said later that he never would have agreed to play with the Wizards if he knew that they were going to fire him uh, after that. Uh, in 2003, uh, and on the back end of that last season in the NBA, he became the first 40-year-old to score 43 points in a game. He did miss the playoffs both of those years with the Wizards, and he publicly criticized his teammates who (laughs) were players that he had actually signed as uh, a front office member. Um, But he was an all-star. In 2006, he became a minority owner of the Charlotte Bobcats, and in March of 2010, he became a majority owner. He's the first former player to do so and the first black person to own a team as well. Recently, Jordan announced that he would be fielding a NASCAR team with Denny Hamlin, and they were going to have Bubba Wallace as their driver. Uh, 2311 Racing, and the car will be the 23 car. Some additional facts about Jordan. His number 23 is retired by UNC, the Bulls, and the Miami Heat, a team he actually never played for. He is second all-time in total playoff points, fifth all-time in total points, He has the most finals MVPs of any player. Of course, Russell and Mikan earned five uh, based on my calculations, but those technically aren't official. Uh, He has the most scoring titles with his 10. Wilt had seven and a few other guys had four, but nobody else is really touching him. In 2014, he became the first billionaire in NBA history. He is actually currently the fourth richest black person in America. 
Uh, in his career, Jordan was known for his clutch performances. Uh, he decided 25 games with shots or free throws in the final 30 seconds, including two finals games and five other playoff games. Uh, his eyesight is actually noted as being amazing. Uh, being a, He was noted as being able to read box scores on a 27-inch screen from up to 50 feet away. Phil Jackson actually compared him to Shaq in his dominance, saying that he would get fouled on literally every single play, but still play through it and would clear himself to the point that he could hit shots without you even noticing that he had been fouled. He never played. He never cried. He just rose to the occasion. Additional records, he's first all-time in career playoff points per game with 33.45. First all-time in career points per game with 30.12. He matched Wilt's record seven straight scoring titles before retiring the first time. And is tied with Gary Payton, KG, and Kobe Bryant with nine all-defensive first-team selections. Only Kareem has more regular season MVP trophies. He was top three in MVP voting. MVP voting 10 times. Uh, Not surprising, but interestingly, Jordan and Pippen are the only players since the NBA-ABA merger to win six titles with one team. Uh, NBA ratings increased every year of his playing career and declined when he left. They still have not reached the level that they were at when he played. What did the greats say about Mike? Jordan's image as a flashy dunker is said to have watered down the game at the same time that his dominance made the league great, which is something that Jordan actually hates. When people talked about Mike, they didn't talk enough about his defense or his fundamentals. And so kids growing up wanting to be like Mike thought that meant having the big time dunks. By November of his rookie year, people were already comparing him to Dr. J. Larry Bird said that a rookie Jordan was the best player he had ever seen and was one of a kind like Wayne Gretzky as an athlete. Larry Bird would later describe Michael as God described as God disguised as Michael Jordan after Mike scored that 63 points on him in his second year in the playoffs. Besides being the greatest basketball player of all time, some consider him the greatest athlete ever also. Uh, He's finished first in many of those polls and finished second to Babe Ruth in one other poll. Now, I can't speak to the greatest athlete of all time, but as of today, I can tell you that when it comes to NBA basketball, Michael Jeffrey Jordan is the GOAT.